from Studio 3B. Now with 1.2 billion subscribers on iTunes, Spotify, and GeoCities. This is the world's most popular podcast with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth featuring musical guests Sting. The incredible shrinking pop song. It's not because the track's been spending time in the pool. We'll break down why there's been a breakdown in the length of a track. And it's the same as it ever was. It's all about distribution mediums. Plus, interns in love in the GNB newsroom. And I've fallen in love with a British accent and it only cost me five bucks. And devalued my profession in the meantime. <laughs> it doesn't sound very good for either of us. No, it doesn't. And now, ladies and gentlemen, Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth. I, I have to confess, by the way, I'm super giddy because I just came up with the new show open for the upcoming Future Rhythmic podcast. Ooh, very exciting. I, I've got this excellent piece of copy, as we would call it in the industry, words as the rest of us would refer to it as, mm -hmm. uh, that describes the entire documentary series. And uh, I thought, you know what? I bet this would sound even better if it was read by a sexy British chick. Oh, so you got one of those? So I got one of those. <laughs> and where did you find one? Did you want to hear it? Yeah. Technology shapes and influences every aspect of our lives today. And we're only beginning to scratch the surface of understanding how it will radically change the way we live and work in the future. Coming up. All right. You got that posh London accent. Okay. Is that awesome? That is good. How much did you pay yeah. for that? I think I paid a uh, hundred bucks. I I got him. I, I found her on Fiverr.com. Fiverr? Fiverr. Uh, this is news to me. Uh, f you, you don't know anything about Fiverr? No, I don't. Okay. Fiverr is a website where people will do something for you for five bucks. Oh, you know what? Yes, I have heard this. Uh, in fact, I was talking to somebody who discovered Fiverr uh, because she wanted to narrate an audio book. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and they say, okay, fine, here's 300 pages, $5. <laughs> right, and, and with this particular one, it, it wasn't just five bucks. It, it's it's kind of weird. It sort of feels like a dollar store mentality where it says dollar store, but you know they got things in there for eight bucks. Mm -hmm. Similar sort of thing. So I, not only did I pay for the worldwide broadcast rights to use her voice, but also for multiple revisions, because you know you're never going to get the audio the exact way you wanted it the first time. Oh, I know. So there, I just sent you the link. Okay. Uh, let's go to this. I'm just looking at the site. I will do a 200-word voiceover for you for $6.97. Yeah. Great. You're kind of devaluing... Everybody? My profession. Well, yes, you are. But uh, I think what, uh, in fairness to this, is, is that if you dig deeper into most of those voiceover artists... If you want to do anything of any significance, it's going to cost you more. Not a lot more, certainly not $1,000 for an imaging of a, of a radio station type of thing. Uh -huh. But uh, it, for, particularly for, for content creators trying to make their way in the world, Fiverr, and it's F-I-V-E-R-R, it, it's, it's amazing for anyone who needs, like if you need an illustration, if you need tons of stuff like that. You know, I don't get out of bed for 100 bucks. Yeah, yeah, no, neither do I. <laughs> this is slave labor is what this is. She didn't have to sign up for this. No, but that's true. She's willing to do this. And if you read her biography, it explains that she does, in fact, have a day job. 
Well, of course she has a day job. Nobody can make a living doing this sort of stuff. <laughs> oh, that's true. It's true. Oh, okay, this is depressing. It's all right, dude. Well, bless my soul, what's wrong with me? I'm itching like a man on a fuzzy tree. My friends say I'm acting wild as a bug. I'm in love. I'm all shook up. At geeksmeets.com, Amber Healy writes that in 1957, the first year of the Billboard Top 100 chart, the song of the year was Elvis Presley's All Shook Up, and it was two minutes and two seconds long. Songs back in those days were substantially shorter because we were still coming off the mentality of the 78 RPM record, which on a good day could hold a little more than three and a half minutes worth of music. Uh, we were moving, records were being distributed to radio stations, still on 78s, and now in this new thing called the 45 RPM single. Uh, but they, the the, the common, uh, common wisdom was that songs had to be between two and two and a half minutes long because that's all the attention bad young teenagers had. How long was a 78-inch record? Or sorry, did I say 78-inch yes, record? Yes, that would be a very long record. 78 RPM record. About three and a half to four minutes, if you were lucky, because you had the grooves could only be put so close together and it spun at 78 RPM. If you do the math and the geometry, the maximum length of a spiral that you could get on a record was about 270 feet. And again, do the math that works out to maximum four minutes per side on a 78 per side. And the problem with 78s, as I recall, because I actually had to handle 78s in my early days in radio. Really? Believe it or not. Actually, I did too. I, I, I uh, helped uh, an old Ukrainian guy uh, do a once a week radio show when I was working in Kenora. I helped an old British guy do Calling All Britons. I had a song. I don't know, I have no idea what the show is called, but he comes in one. The first day I do this, he comes in and he says, okay, play team. Play team, team, team. So I look at the record and he's got it in pen written T-E-M-E. Oh, theme, theme. Okay. And he handled me, handed me this stack of records with no sleeves, no jackets. When Ray Son in all 800 years of him came waddling in with his collection of records for Calling All Britons on CFRB 1010, he actually asked me one day, and I was a little bit insulted, although I can understand why he would ask. He asked me, all 18 years of me, do you know how to play a 78 record? That's actually not a dumb question. I know, but I was a professional radio operator. <laughs> yeah. Of course I knew how to play a 78, but any other 18-year-old uh, would certainly have not known that you even had to change the stylus before you could play. Yeah, because you needed something the size of a nail. Yeah. Otherwise, the needle would just... Uh, an old stylus or, or, well, a regular stylus for a 78 RPM record or for a 45 or a 33 just wouldn't be able to, it wouldn't, it, it would be like wearing big baggy pants. It couldn't track in the grooves properly. 78s, because they were brittle and difficult and, and race on and was worried I would ruin his records. Um, the big evolution was into the 45 so that the new demographic called teenager could afford to buy music. Right. So let's go back a little bit. The 78 RPM record was made out of a shellac compound. Uh, shellac is produced by the female lac bug in the jungles of Malaysia. 
<laughs> is that why it's called shellac? Because of the lack bug? Yes. I had no idea. What happened was the Japanese invaded the Malay Peninsula leading up to World War II, which cut off the supply of lack bug goo. So for a while in the 1940s, there was a huge shortage of this. If you wanted to uh, buy a new record in, say, 1943, you had to trade in some old records in order to get a new one. Huh. The record had to be in very good condition. A typical 78 RPM record could be played 125 times before it completely wore out. And they were as fragile as China. You probably remember those Laurel and Hardy type movies where they're bashing each, over, each other over the head with records and they're shattering like glass. That's exactly how fragile they were. If you were with Ray Sonnen and you handled them, you know that they were very, very, very delicate. But also very thick and therefore very heavy. So hitting someone over the head with a 78 was quite a dangerous thing to do. Right. It would explode into shards, but it, would, uh, it was a heavy thing. And then what happened in 1948 is that Columbia Records came out with the 12-inch long-playing album, which could store about 24 minutes of music per side. Uh, this was based on polyvinyl chloride, which was a substance that they had discovered in the 1920s and were using for sewer pipes. Uh, <laughs> it's true. And then in 1949, March of 1949, RCA Records, who was upset at Columbia because they used expired RCA patents to create the 12-inch long-playing album, didn't want to license the technology from their arch-rival Columbia, so they came up with the 7-inch vinyl single. And the other thing about RCA was that they were a consumer electronics manufacturer. Not only did they make TVs and radios, but they also made record players. And they thought that if they could create a record player that could only play a proprietary format, which in this case was the, 70, was the 45 RPM record, they would sell not only 45s, but they would also sell these newfangled, dedicated turntables. Hardware that only works with your software? They were the apple of the day. They were. And one of the ways they tried to do this was make the hole on the 45 really, really big. Ah, oh, which is why we got the little thing that goes in the middle of a 45. Which are either called spiders, by some accounts, or they're just called 45 RPM adapters. Somebody told me, though, and not told me, I read it somewhere years and years ago that there was an actual name for them. And I remember saying to myself at the time, I need to remember that. Right. And I immediately forgot what it was called. There were a bunch of names for them. Spider was the most common because it sort of looked like a three-handed swastika. That Yeah, but that's colloquially. Yeah. Like, wasn't there an actual name for them? Uh, I'm sure there was. It's But it, it was very regional. Very, very regional. Okay, well, maybe I read something that was regional, too, and therefore there isn't a name. It could be. Now, the other thing about it is, is up until the album came along, people were very happy with getting up every three or four minutes and turning a record over. So RCA believed that, you know, for 50 years, we had been doing this with records. Why don't we just continue to have one song per side per record? And what we'll do is we'll have this big, thick spindle where you can stack records on top of each other up to an hour's worth of music. So when one record finished playing, the tone arm would swing back and then another record would drop into its place and the tone arm would come in and play that. So you could have up to 60 minutes, technically, of uninterrupted music. My grandfather had one of those. Yeah, and that's a, that's called, uh, it was called a record changer. Mm -hmm. And that's another reason, here's the scientific part, that's another reason why the hole is so big. 
because when it falls from the spindle onto the platter, it has to spin up to 45 RPM almost instantly, which creates a tremendous amount of torque around the edge of the hole. Right. And if you had a small hole, you had that but that torque concentrated in a very uh, tiny um, circumference. You could crack the record. Well, you would certainly make the hole out of round, mm. and then it wouldn't track true. Right. So if you had a one and a half inch hole, like the 45s did, you spread that force over uh, 1.5 times pi, whatever that works out to, and you had more distance to dis, uh, to to spread out the torque. Don McLean's American Pie topped the Billboard chart for four weeks in 1972 and took eight and a half minutes of airtime. Take you back about 10 years ago when Buddy Holly died. He was my idol. He's the only idol I ever had. I'll start off with that. This is a rather long song, so you better light up. Long, long time ago, I can still remember how that music used to make me smile. Yeah, um, but they, on the 45, split it into two. Really? Yes, they did. So there was part one and part two. Part one was side one, part two was side two. Not too long after, though, uh, the title of the longest song to make the chart was topped by Harry Chapin's Better Place to Be, Amber writes. So it was released in a, with a running time of nine and a half minutes. Yeah, it would have to be, it would have to be um, um, split in two again. So before we get back to... The, the 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 overarching theme here, which is the incredible shrinking pop song in the 21st century. Pop songs got longer, you're saying, because the album technology got better. And I can imagine as well, that also changed radio, where we went from pop songs in top 40. Now we have this new format called album-oriented rock. Right. This starts in about 1965, 1966 in places like San Francisco. Really living by the Golden Gate with Radio 61. Spurred largely by uh, Bob Dylan and his song Like a Rolling Stone, which clocked in at six and a half minutes, which is a very, very long song for the uh, for the time. And then there was uh, Richard Harrison and MacArthur Park, which is also a very long song. And then there was real concern about the Beatles' Hey Jude when it was released in 1968. Uh, the people at EMI went to the Beatles and said, this song is too long. No radio station is going to play a song that's seven minutes long. And John Lennon looked at this executive in the face and said, they will if it's ours. <laughs> and he was right. So there, there is a limit to the amount of uh, music that you can get on the side of a 45. And it's around, I mean, you're really pushing it at six minutes because you end up, and it has to do with uh, stylus velocity and a bunch of other fancy terms, but as you get closer to the center of the um, of the record, the stylus velocity is actually increasing. I know it's still spinning at at forty five RPM, but it's being dragged through relative to the the outer edge. The, the uh, relative to the outer edge, dragging through faster, and what happens is you lose frequency response and a and a whole bunch of other things. So um, you you're you tack you you you're really pushing it when you're at uh, at seven minutes. So let's go back to this idea of the shrinking song. Right, because we had two songs making the Billboard chart in 2016 that well overshot the standard five minutes uh, from Kendrick Lamar. And then David Bowie, his final single, Black Star, ran just under 10 minutes. But there's this whipsaw effect that we've seen as well, where in 2017, 
Lil Pump's Gucci Gang was uh, in the top 10, and it was only two minutes and four seconds long. The shortest song to hit the top 10 since 1975. Okay, we got to back up just a little bit here. Okay. Pop songs were restricted in terms of length by the container in which they were placed. In this case, a 45 RPM record. That began to change when we got to digital because you could squeeze a lot more into um, a CD single, for example. And when we get to streaming and downloads, it doesn't matter. There is no constraints on that. The CD had a very specific limit as to how much music you could put on it. And it was solely because Sony had to come up with a number. Could have been anything. Well, yeah, there are a bunch of apocryphal stories. And, you know, one of the one of the ones was... Um, the, uh, the chairman of, C of Sony at the time said that uh, his CD for his company needed to fit a complete uninterrupted recording of his favorite Beethoven symphony, which was 74 minutes. Right. That's probably apocryphal. Okay, hang on. Hang on. It's Michael in the edit bay here. Hey, am I the only one who doesn't understand what apocryphal means? So I looked it up. Apocryphal. <laughs> you like this. A story or statement of doubtful authenticity, although widely circulated as being true. And here's the example that they use. An apocryphal story about a former president. Synonyms, fictitious, made up, untrue, fabricated, false, spurious, or of belonging to the apocrypha. Well, that's a whole rabbit hole we don't need to go down. Anyway, the more you know. The longest CD clocks in at about about 79 minutes. Once you start getting um, to that that length, uh, then you the the um, uh, the laser has a hard time tracking because CDs play from the inside out. Right, the opposite of a record player. Right. So when you get to the outside of a disc, if there's any kind of wobble in it, mm -hmm. uh, your error correction fall goes to hell, and you end up with all kinds of uh, issues. Uh, playing the uh, the the last song on the CD, if if there's too much music jammed onto that CD, so let's talk about short songs. Now, there's a reason why we have moved away from the standard. Is about three and a half minutes. If you were programming a pop radio station and you needed to put a, a blank spot in your music sheet, you're probably going to put three and a half minutes. That's the you know sort of average ballpark. Um, what's happening now is that music is being driven by the technology that is delivering it. In this particular case, we're talking about streaming. Now, do you want to hear my rant about streaming? You have a rant about streaming? I do. No. Here is what's going on. An artist does not get paid until a song is streamed for at least 30 seconds. So, a couple of things. Producers and songwriters and everybody else are doing whatever they can with modern pop songs to ensure that we listen for at least 31 seconds. So that means shorter intros. It used to be that the average intro of a song was 17 seconds. Now it's down to less than five. You can't read the weather under five seconds. Exactly. Uh, radio people will understand that reference. <laughs> they put the chorus up front. They put multiple hooks in the first 30 seconds. Anything to keep people from hitting that skip button. So the idea is to suck people through to 31 seconds. At that point, they get paid. Who cares what happens after that? The other 
point is that people say, well, if I get paid after 30 seconds, why should I bother making songs longer than 30 seconds? Really? I'm going to make as much money on a seven-minute song as I am on a song that's 32 seconds. How many artists do you speak? Like, maybe there's a difference between artists and musicians, but how many artists would you speak to who would say that they would base their art upon a clock? Uh, more and more. Um, the If you talk to uh, Mark Ronson, the very famous producer, he says that the song for Spotify, and here's another issue, Spotify, the algorithms favor songs that are at least three minutes and 15 seconds long. Why? Anything shorter than that, you may not see a Spotify rating uh, that will be sufficient to get you on other playlists through its algorithm. And Mark Ronson says that you want to make sure that the maximum number of people listen to the song all the way through to the end because that increases your Spotify rating and then that will distribute the song to more playlists and more people will get a chance to hear it. So doesn't that make sense then to keep the song short so that you keep people happy? It does. That's the other thing, because people get tired. We have no attention span, so people get tired. They get two minutes into a song. Yeah, okay, I like it. Next. Now, there are other bands, and I'll uh, talk about a band called The Pocket Gods, who believe that anything more than 31 seconds is a waste of time. So they have released a series of albums with songs that are all 31 seconds long. <laughs> Amber writes that a team... Uh, of researchers have found that the median length of a Billboard Hot 100 song in 2000 was more than four minutes, but by 2018, it dropped under three and a half minutes. Yep. Because of, as you say, we're trying to game the system. Uh, yes, the producers and the artists are trying desperately to game the system, uh, and they figured out what the parameters are for gaming that. So they are simply responding to the demand of the technology. And it doesn't surprise me because the demand for streaming is so strong. In 2015, streaming made up 34% of the music industry revenue. Last year, it was 75%. That's right. So, uh, <sighs> and not only that, while streaming is huge, it's not going away anytime soon. It is making up a, a huge, huge portion of the recorded industries, recording industries, revenue stream. Hey, hang on, Tom, you, you just piqued my a thought that streaming music isn't going anywhere anytime soon. No. You're familiar with the term, the singularity. Yes. Which is the melding of man and machine. Yes. I don't see music going anywhere but the singularity from here. Uh, we're probably a little ways away from it. I no, think no, absolutely. But like, in, in other words, there is no format after this. It's streaming everything from this point forward. Everything in our lives, not just music, mm -hmm. will be streamed to us. Edge computing, they call it. Yeah. So I, I wonder if we don't have to worry about having to buy the White Album yet again. No. Uh, if you pay your $9.99 a month, uh, maybe there will be... The only other thing that could happen is somebody could uh, you know, implant a chip. That's what I mean. That's the singularity. That's the merging of us. There could be an interim thing. And that is some sort of virtual reality, augmented reality thing. Now, earlier this year, a DJ named Marshmallow performed a show in within Fortnite. And he had a 10-minute set. And he had a potential audience of 10 million 
people. So this isn't passive lean back listening. This is something that you uh, participate in. Right. This isn't a conversation about streaming. That's more of a conversation about the future of concerts. Right. And same thing with uh, Weezer. Weezer's Black Album came out last week, and they had Weezer Island within Fortnite, and they performed four songs from the album. So um, that is sort of an interim thing, but you're right. It has more to do with the history of the, with the future of concerts than music. Um, it's just going to be a matter of streaming, first of all, spreading around the world and everybody getting used to it. Did you hear about India? <laughs> what? What about India? There's so much going on with India right now. So Spotify launched last week in India. Okay. And within a week, they have 1 million users. If you do the math, that is 0.07% of the country. So why should we be impressed? Because, well, first of all, you can spin statistics to make things look great no matter what. And secondly, there's still a lot of room for, for uh, streaming to grow. In North America and Europe, streaming adoption is starting to level out. Uh, so there are some concerns. What happens beyond, you know, once everybody in North America and Europe gets, gets a streaming service? Well, there's your answer. India, China, other parts of the world. So do you see... At any point in the future, the songs going back up in length? I don't know what's happening. There, are, there, there used to be a rule, in Britain anyway, that um, a single couldn't be longer than a certain length because, uh, you know, there were all these dance remixes. There was a guy who put out a single that was like 60 minutes long, and that didn't really... I'm seriously, it didn't really... The, the DJ loves the long track so he can go to the washroom. That one could go home to go to the washroom. Yeah, exactly. So again, what we're seeing is the uh, the container in which the music comes shaping the, con uh, shaping the music itself. So if the rules are that you don't get paid until 31 seconds and you don't get paid for anything beyond that... Well, it only makes sense to jam more of your songs that are shorter onto Spotify or wherever so you have a better chance of people listening to your songs all the way through, getting paid, getting good Spotify rating, and getting distributed to other playlists so that your streaming revenue increases. Hey, our revenue increased. It did? It did. Well, that's good. Time now for a Geeks and Beats update. London, Paris, New York, Toronto. From high atop the Marconi Tower in downtown Toronto, this is a GNB News Update. Phil is our new co-producer this week. I don't know Phil's last name. On Patreon, he doesn't have one. He just has a fox head for his icon. Fine. <laughs> You'll take the 25 bucks anywhere? I will take the 25 bucks. If you're supporting us through Patreon, uh, as Phil is, uh, you can be a co-producer. And all that means is that we put your name on the album. We thank you for supporting the big show. You can print off that album art, frame it, hang it in your parents' basement. And uh, we'll, we'll back you on LinkedIn if you put it on your LinkedIn profile. I'm all over the LinkedIn right now. Oh, yeah. That's, uh, you've got extra time, don't you? That's, that's my world. It's all about the LinkedIn. We also want to say thank you to Victor Biggio, who is essentially making himself the co-producer in residence. Pretty much. I, I think Victor really should get a desk. <laughs> At this rate, 
He said, I'll be the recurring co-producer for the foreseeable future. Ha ha. Um, that's not funny. That's actually really pleasant. Yeah, I know. It's lovely. I know. I, I don't know if the ha ha was perhaps maybe, hey, maybe it was more like a, uh, <laughs> like he's taken over or something. Yeah, well, he doesn't have any, tr he has no editorial control. Don't tell him that. He might cut his support. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, okay. Yes, Victor. Master Victor, sure. Go to geeksmeets.com, click the support the show link. If you don't want a Patreon account, that's fine. That's cool. We'll uh, take your money via PayPal as well, as uh, we want to say thank you very much to uh, Chris. Limit uh, to the support uh, by Brandon Heggie. Brandon, you rock. Thank you so much for being an intern. A member of the World's Worst Intern Program pays us a dollar each episode, doesn't do any actual work, and all we do is say thank you when they sign up. So, Brandon, thank you for joining us over the course of your time with us on The Big Show. We also want to say uh, hello to Blake and Trish Limburger. As we had been talking about previously, they signed up, and we couldn't figure out if it was Blake who was supporting the show or Trish who was supporting the show, or if maybe it was both of them who joined us as members of the World's Worst Intern Program. Right, I remember that. So I suggested that maybe they would take a split shift, one, or one would do the morning shift, one would do the afternoon shift. And Blake has replied on Twitter to us saying that, uh, they would definitely split the shift in the newsroom. He says he'll take the early shift so she can enjoy her, quote, beauty sleep. Oh, that's nice. I don't know. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a little nervous for, for Blake. Why? Is it, is, is it wise to ever suggest a woman needs a beauty sleep? If she requests it, if she labels it as such, not a problem. He also says thanks for all the hard work. So clearly he's talking to me. Mm, obviously, because I'm not doing any. <laughs> Are you done with the uh, update? Yeah, now that it's just you and me talking, no one's listening to this. No, okay, fine. Um, the uh, Did I tell you how fast my Wi-Fi was in Singapore? This is like some sort of penis measurement thing for you. It is, it is. I, well, I was absolutely shocked. Part of the reason I selected this particular hotel is because I was assured it had very good Wi-Fi. And would you like to guess what my guest Wi-Fi was? 50 down, 50 up. 147 down, 55 up. I, I can't believe you checked out. I, I'm, are you not still there? I blocked all the porn sites. Catch all new episodes of Geeks and Beats Wednesdays on iTunes. And watch for Geeks and Beats magazine on a newsstand near you. To be part of next week's show, call area code 323-319-NERD. Follow the stories on Twitter or Facebook. And get your dose of Geeks and Beats anytime at geeksandbeats.com. The Geeks and Beats podcast would like to thank the National Science Foundation.